2: Hey, I'm Jad Abumrad, And I'm Robert Krolwick. This is Radio Lab the podcast.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, we are here for a historic confrontation. And on
2: today's podcast, we'll start with a little combat. I want to tell you about an event Robert and I did recently, right here in WNYC's new green space. We built a little boxing ring with ropes and everything. We asked Ira Glass, who you're hearing to be our boxing referee. About 250 people showed up. And Robert and I decided to go head to head. To
0: settle once and for all. The debate, radio versus television. Which is superior? So let's get started. In this corner, Robert the Crusher Crowich. I got to
1: wear a blue silk kind of boxing gig.
0: In the opposite corner, the one, the only, Jad. Boom, boom, Abumrad. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together.
2: And I got to wear the very stylish red boxing trunks. With a with, hood. With a hood, yeah, and yeah. real boxing gloves. So here's how it went. We went five rounds. The rules were pretty simple. I'd play something, then Robert would play something, and then Ira and the audience would judge. Round one, Round two, one question, topic was...
0: Which is better at pictures, radio <laughs> or television?
2: We'll just jump to the results just to give you a taste. Okay.
0: All right, television is the winner. (laughs) Round two. Which medium is better at emotions? Is it radio? Or is it television?
2: Oh, oh. So after two rounds, we were tied. And so let's just speed things up here. We went three more rounds, or three, three various questions. And when we got to round five, which was on the question of which is more fun, radio or TV, well, here's what happened.
0: I declare television the winner. No! Oh! No! 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 There was more sound. Riot! Do you want to have a recount? We can do a recount.
2: I want, to, I want them to riot. <laughs> You're familiar with the concept of sore loser, right? <laughs> Radio doesn't
0: have to win. How much more dignity is there to this whole event? But we're if in television a radio station,
2: Ira. We have to win. If we can't win here, we can't win anywhere. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll take the poll again. Radio. Come on! Ah! I suddenly realized why they don't do recounts in elections. <laughs> and television! <laughs> oh, come on! <laughs> you guys are saying tie?
2: It was a draw. It was a draw.
1: Everybody won that night, Chad.
2: No. Radio and no, TV. No, I believe. still refuse to believe. <laughs> so then we decided, well, okay, so... We uh, took off our robes and our gloves. Yeah. And, we just,
1: and then we sat down and say, well, let's just put it all together here. Like, There are rules for making TV. There are rules for making radio how are they different? And Ira began.
0: All the rules of what we do on the radio, especially on our show, where the stories have narrative motion, where there's characters in motion and there's a conflict that announces itself pretty quickly. And, and the people have to be pretty, somebody has to be pretty charming and you can relate to. It's like our show on the radio pretends to be a show where 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 we're documenting everyday life. But we're n- not actually. What we're doing is we're getting sort of regular people who are in really, really unusual and interesting situations that would be worth putting on the radio. And, and the thing that having pictures let us do was to actually eliminate the need for a surprising plot line and could let us just have moments that we knew would be dramatic, like a guy's kid comes home from the army comes home from Iraq and you know like, like we had specific moments we were going out to shoot but they didn't have to surprise in exactly the same way and and really a lot of the thing is kind of staring at people and, and in a way that just is just anti-radio like it was mm-hmm. it was just it was an entire hour that just would have been very difficult to do on radio a lot of what we did on TV I think you could have done on radio there's like a hugeness to the radio t- mm-hmm. to the intimacy of the radio like when you're in the actual um cruddy little hospital room in a not so fancy hospital in Washington State and it's a real guy and his sort of semi-photogenic mom and he's like a little bit of a stiff and I don't know, like, and then, and then they perform the scene and you see them, really, they're not, Iconic, weirdly, like mm-hmm. like something about the, the specifics of staring at them and of that room, and you recognize kind of the, the hospital tray. It just plays really differently, whereas on radio it would be weirdly uh, mythic. If, if you think about that piece that, piece that you played where, the, where it's the dad and the kid, there's something really e- epic about it. Like it's intimate and it's epic because he, he like with his deep voice and, and her and her sort of symbolic like kidness, become iconic.
1: Ira's talking about a piece which had an unfairly cute daughter growing up in the- Why don't we just play it for a them? a father with a really deep voice.
2: Um, this was, totally an, I think it, we played it in round two. This is from John Bewin. At first, it's physical, like any great love. Those eyes,
3: those hands, those thighs.
2: Daddy.
3: Really? <laughs> Harper, what's a kitty cat say? Nah. The weight of them. On your lap, climbing on your head. Nobody writes pop songs about that touch, that feeling. What are you going to listen about? I'm going to listen to you. But riding around inside that little body, there's this person.
0: Over here?
3: A budding mind. You'll do anything to touch. Here you go. I made this for you. That special coffee. So this small body becomes the source of your biggest fears. The child's flesh is vulnerable. So you are too. I do.
2: But my favorite part about school is going outside. It's paradise. You all look wonderful in our in your outfits, Mrs. said. I can't wait to learn what all of you want to be when you grow up. Can I have some milk?
3: How old are you now, girl?
2: Eight. Hi daddy. (laughs)
3: <laughs> but you have to let go let her go little by little
2: well, Lindsay said that kayla said something mean about me she said not how kayla in I that can't. way
3: too in that way in which her body was never for you
2: next message hi daddy it's harper um we're going to be out like on a g-a-l Girl, after you know that. Um, just call me on my cell phone, like if anything happens or anything, I'll call you whenever I come home, okay. Bye.
3: So girl, how old are you gonna be your next birthday? Thirteen. And have you and your mama talked about, you know, the talk? Yeah. Do you think you and I should have the talk?
2: No. 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 (laughs) Good. So that was a piece called Scared from John Bewin, thanks to him and to Harper Bewin and to the Third Coast Audio Festival. And now back to the event.
1: I think one of the deep differences is when you watch the TV, it is an act of staring. So you're... You're in a chair or standing, and you're looking across a space at a box with a square, and in the square are some images, and you, your options are to look away or to look at it. You also know that between you and it, there could be lots of business. Someone could come by, a cat could go by, a child could go by, a dog could go by, or something could catch your eye and you'd flick it away. So there is a stare in TV. In the radio, often people either clamp something on either ear, or if they don't do that and they're just listening to the radio, there is a, um, there is a, an intimate kind of sharing where if the radio is describing, the person listening starts to paint involuntarily just because they helplessly picture the words you're saying. And the painting in your head, first of all, belongs to you, And it's not a stare. It's actually very unlike a stare. And there's more, when you are co-authoring, which is what you're doing, the the story you're being told, there is more room in there for that story, in a way. Mm -hmm. But when you stare, you do get to see things that you wouldn't know, that you wouldn't find yourself, that you Mm -hmm. couldn't imagine. But there is a coolness to the stare and a warmness to the radio it just travels, and there were advantages and disadvantages to both,
0: and I... See, I see all that and felt all that when we were making TV. Like the, the other thing that always struck me as a huge difference is that to get an emotional moment on TV, like we could make an emotional moment, and just like you say, you have people's faces and they communicate so much, and communicate just as much as the voice does. Um, but to make an emotional moment on TV, it's almost like we would have to like erect a scaffolding for it to happen and, and build to the moment. And there'd have to be like fast action, fast action, fast action, cutting, 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 and then we'd have to slow it down. So you could feel the slowness, and then there could be slower sorts of emotion and feeling, and the music would change. And it was sort of like a much bigger orchestration job um, in the way it had to be photographed and handled. Whereas on radio, it, it has such emotion as the default position. Like, it beco- it, the, it's the thing that it's gonna do when it's not even trying to do anything, is communicate a lot of feeling and a lot of intimacy. You know, like, like we can send out anybody with a tape recorder, and, and if they can talk to somebody, they'll get that. And the sound of the person's voice will carry all this feeling. And, and that seemed to me just, in, uh, just an, an, a huge difference. And then people were more able to open up on the radio too, like was sort of an ancillary thing when it isn't like a camera crew and lights and like, you know we were shooting very pretty, so it was a lot of people. And um, versus we, bit, by the time we finished our second season, like when we started our first season, I thought, well, we'll get the same percentage of people who open up on radio and TV. But by the time we got to the end of the second season, uh, Lisa and Nancy and the other producers, when they really wanted to get down with people, we would film part of the interview. And then they would just tape part of the interview. They would just take the person off, and they would tape part of the interview just with a tape recorder, just them. Yeah. And then we would use (laughs) that part and the part where you see pictures of other stuff. And Mm -hmm. and yeah, so we totally tricked it out to get the kinds of quotes that we wanted, because we weren't getting the quotes we wanted while the camera was rolling sometimes.
2: Let me ask you both a question, since you both have done radio and TV, in many cases the same story on radio and TV. um, How was the experience of doing radio? Or being behind the camera different than being behind the microphone because I, I have this I, I always sort of joke with him I have this experience every time I see him on TV it it, it tweaks me it's weird because i'm like, who is that guy he's not he's not the the Robert that I know from the studio because he's the Robert in the studio and the Robert like in this ring, and I love the fact that we're having this quiet chat and a boxing ring by the <laughs> way um, he's kind of like this oversized outsized emotional dude he's like, like just huge gestures, but on TV it's all like, he keeps it small. He kind of he brings it in. And there's something about the scale that's really interesting to me when you see somebody do both. You know, I mean, do you, I wonder I wonder He's like
1: always said this, he says, when you know, he just says, it's so little, you're so <laughs> tight, you're so... Uh, you learn, here's the thing, the camera goes and looks right at you And so, if you were to give a big Cheshire cat grin, if you were to make a broad gesture, in the box, it's just too big. So you just learn somewhere along the line that um, that you you do scale it down because you're you're so big in this virtual space.
0: But you're bigger on the radio because I I always say I tell people like when you're performing on the radio, it's like you're in front of a camera and the camera's always on close up, and like you use your inside voice, you know. (laughs) Kind of. Well, you, you, you had to get the desk. Yeah. Maybe, why you know, the desk? The desk thing. Well, that was just in the first season. I mean, the, well, the conceit of it was we couldn't figure out how to put me on TV, like, like where should I be or should I even be, should you ever see me at all, and then it seemed kind of, kind of um, artsy that you would never see me, you know what I mean? My favorite version of the different ways that you would see me would be that I would walk into each story at the end like Rod Serling and go, <laughs> a man and a woman, you know, but I feel like I could perform that too. Um,
2: but was it a scale thing? or you, was it that you needed to feel somehow? No, better? no.
0: We put we did the desk because we just thought like after trying to run. A, we t- we we shot all sorts of different things as little tests and, and and all of them trying to run away from the conventions of a host on TV. But truthfully, like everything's been done if you're a host on TV. Like you know, you're on a real desk that's been done. You in a car just talking to the camera. You walking down the street with a subject. You just like every sort of casual and non-casual <coughs> version has been done. And so we thought, well, let's instead of running away from the conventions, let's run towards them. Let's take the corniest convention and let's do the desk and the suit and the mug and like a microphone and let's like have a, let's build one of those desks that only exist on television that doesn't exist in nature, that's like
2: <laughs> one of those shiny desks.
0: And, um, and then let's put it outside. Let's just put it somewhere random. We had never—I had never seen the. There's apparently Monty Python thing where they, the anchor Man is outside. I didn't know that. You see, even that had been done. But um, so we would just take it to incredibly like the idea is like one day it's in a factory floor, and the next day it's by a nuclear power station, and you know. And so that was the idea. It was just oh, let's let's make something big and photographic.
2: But why why the wh- why the trouble? You said you couldn't figure out how to be on TV because like, uh, this American life like it's so identif- it has that, that like weirdly just. It's imprinting a, a kind of imp- intimacy on right. so many and, and people. It, I
0: know, and, and it's something weirdly anti-intimate about the image that we ended up making with me in it. And in the second season, b- because of that, instead of shooting it that way, we we, took, we bought a little flip camera for $149 at Best Buy, and we shot all the things of me with that. And we'd mm-hmm. just go on the subway, and I would just shoot myself talking to the camera and saying my thing. What about the audience?
1: I, I sense that the the radio audience is a completely different audience in a consistently different mood than the television audience
2: what do you think i, I mean i do i different think, like as in different people or different when they're in a front of the tv eight different people versus but commercial
1: television tends to get a slightly older group and radio at least this radio that, Miss american life and radio life does this gets a bit of a younger audience but beyond that i think the radio audience gets the impression that they know you know you. And the TV audience, because of the staring, they will respect you. They'll do, yo, saw you on TV thing. <laughs> that is, they, they'll notice you. They don't presume to begin or have a conversation with you. Whereas on the radio, they presume to have a conversation with you. So you're
0: saying from your experience being on NPR and being on ABC?
2: Yeah. You know where we see it, actually? Uh, we sort of see the flip side of that is when we take over Terry Gross's spot. Uh, Fridays at 3, which we do a couple times a year, you would not believe the vitriol, believe. the venomous Get them explosion off. of hatred, <laughs> as if we have kidnapped Terry, literally kidnapped her, and taken and locked her into the closet. They're Terry Gross. You know, so it's, it's but Friday's
0: the, her rerun show. They've heard it already. It, it, no, they, d- it, doesn't
2: they,
1: they, it doesn't matter. It's part of their routine. On Fridays at 3, what do I do? I do her. And who are these two people? And what are they doing? No,
0: no, they don't listen to it. They just like, <laughs> That's a, yeah, they bite it. I have to say, like, like, the biggest thing I've ever done on TV was just t- two weeks ago, and that is that I appeared on the Colbert Report. Yeah. and I'd been on, I'd been on the Daily Show. I'd been on Letterman. I'd been on um, on uh, Conan. But there's something about people's relationship to Stephen Colbert mm. where. Like complete strangers walk up to me on the street and call out to me on the street, and like a lot of them, and it's like, hey, saw you on Colbert. They feel like they feel like it was us against him or something. Like they have <laughs> such a like, they're like, like 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 they just want me to know like they watched Colbert and they were with me, you know. And and it with was with you comp- because you survived Colbert, or with you because they you're part of the Colbert Club. Both like, I survived it, they're like, hey, you did okay, sort of, with Colbert, you know, like, it very much is like, it was like I was in a boxing match with Stephen Colbert, and and they they appreciated it, and and, and they want to tell me about it, like, in a, a way that I've found really lovely. Hmm. Well, then that's maybe our last question, is, is, is the glamour
1: question. Um,
0: there is, has been, for years,
1: associated with being on TV, there's this sense of, ooh, wow, kind of thing. And then radio was sort of the uh, other thing you could do if you were in a car or cutting carrot. And I I get the sense that that's actually switched a bit. So Steve Colbert could almost have, has a radio, I don't know why I say this, but Steve Colbert, who who does wonderful sight gags and, you know, but there is something about that show, even more than the other one, that does seem like, I don't know why, seems like the best radio that I hear. But uh, oh, these l-
0: people have such a personal relationship with him in in a way that that I don't know. I mean, I feel that way about a handful of shows. You know, I feel that way about about the drama, You know, I feel that way about Friday Night Lights.
2: <gasps> you know, the greatest show
0: on television, except for the second season. <laughs> except for the why?
2: the second season was a downer. True. I mean, I mean, the
0: they're wine. good. They're good. I mean, I guess I'm saying like. I, you know, I feel that about other things on television besides Stephen Colbert. I think uh, that's the bond you feel with any show that you really love. You feel like. No, no, because
1: like, I was in the subway and I saw an inspector from The Wire, that really mean guy, um, who, um, the Polish guy who wants to buy the. Uh, yeah, yeah, Valcek. I saw the actor who plays Valchek, and I, I, he was sitting there and I was holding the pole. And I thought I just—I guess I'll honor him by my quiet gaze. I won't say anything, and my heart was beating and everything. (laughs) I was thinking I was going to tell my wife, "Guess who I saw on the subway?" So, uh, but I didn't. If I'd seen Stephen Colbert, or if if I didn't know you and saw you, or you, I I think I'd. uh,
2: He says with disdain. I think I'd
1: find it more approachable. I think I'd find. I think I might dare. I might say. Oh hi, or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> it's
0: true. Well, that's because on the radio, if you're performing it right, you're exactly human size. Like, like if you're on the radio, if you're doing it correctly, I think you're. You, there's a one-to-one scale. But you just
2: you said earlier though that it
0: was myth- mythic and epic too, though. That moment in that story. Yeah, no, I, you know that's true. I guess it's a contradiction. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I, you know, I think one of the things that, that This American Life did was they made true stories feel like fairy tales. Like every, and it has to do with the music. It has to do with the way they're constructed, and with the surprise and the characters that you meet. It 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 feels like uh, it feels like a fairy tale. It feels like like you're entering. You mean well on
0: TV and on radio?
2: I I mean uh, mostly on the radio. I'm thinking sort radio. of early, early. You know, just that show coming out of everything else that was at that time. Suddenly, these characters did seem large. They seemed like um, yeah. sort of epic and huge, and but yet sort of like. Ha- in the b- embedded in their breasts the same sort of desires and fascinations and fears that the rest of us had. So that was new for me to hear that. So I don't know. I mean, there are th- it gets confusing when you use the techniques of fiction storytelling, the techniques of movie making with true stories. You can invest true reality with a sense of largeness and a sense of sweep that, that you would only expect to see like in a movie theater. That's kind of the cool thing about it, I think. And then there's the wire.
1: <laughs> thank you all for coming.
0: Thanks for coming out.
2: Okay, that's how the event ended. We want to thank Carrie Hillman for helping us produce the event. Definitely want to thank the Green Space people for making that very cool space available.
1: Uh, green Space means the, the part of the building at WNYC yeah, where you can now have space. live events, which is yeah. where that was. So it just was inaugurated that very week, so... That was our inaugural, uh, maybe do more
2: of those. And also to the Hungry Marching Band because um, they made a lot of big, loud, noisy yeah. music. Yes, thanks. And also we want to thank the people that helped make Radio Lab possible. That would be, number one, go Mr. Ahead. Sloan. Alfred P. Sloan Foundation. Number two. Mr. Corporation. For public broadcasting. And number three. Mr. National Science. Yes. Who has a foundation. Yeah, <laughs> them. I'm Jad Abumrad. I'm Robert Krolich. Thanks for listening.
0: NYC Now delivers the most up-to-date local news from WNYC and Gothamist every morning, midday, and evening. With three updates a day, listeners get breaking news, top headlines, and in-depth coverage from across New York City. By sponsoring programming like NYC Now, you'll reach our community of dedicated listeners with premium messaging and an uncluttered audio experience. Visit sponsorship.wnyc.org to get in touch and find out more.